welcome. I'm glad to have you. Thank you very much for spending your time with me. Um, I love an intro of who are you and how long you've been in the industry um, and what drives you in the industry. Sure. I am Kristen Yoder. I am a strategic advisor and an educator um, about terpenes and critical thinking, which is severely lacking in this industry. But I mean, you know, it's not everyone's fault. It's like marketing's fault. But anyways, it's some whole other shit. So I've been oh, I, in. I kind of. Um, this is something I say all the time. Like we have mismarketed and been lied to. And so I appreciate that you even say a little bit. Oh. About Oh, I say a lot about that. I'm right with you. Yeah, so uh, I've been in the Los Angeles cannabis industry for 15 years. Wow, it's been a long time since I was 21. And uh, I started um, managing the first dispensary in the city of LA back in 2005 through 2010. And uh, it was intense. It was before there was legal dispensaries, before there was legal cannabis up until, um, I mean, I, I burnt out of politics. It's insane. Los Angeles is insane, uh, which is some, that's so many other stories. But anyways, uh, before I forget what I'm talking about. So I uh, managed a dispensary for five years, took two years off, learned how to grow cannabis indoors and outdoors. Uh, and that's when I realized when I started working in a warehouse that growing is labor, like that is a tough job. So shout out to the growers. I mean, the industry is on their backs and nobody gives them what they deserve, the acknowledgement, the pay, the coverage, anything. So uh, I'd just like to make that clear. So after two years, I'm like, fuck this. Like, I am not cut out for this at all. So I went and uh, worked at one of the largest edible companies in California, um, Venice Cookie Company, now VCC Brands, and started off doing supply chain management and then quickly went into product development and R&D and after a couple of years, operation management. And at the peak, in California, we were serving a thousand dispensaries. We had like 75 products on the menu with six in R&D at all times. It was nuts. It was insane. <laughs> and um, and at that time, also helped them start their their no longer partner company, but Evergreen Herbal up in Washington State, and helped them set up operations, etc. Mm -hmm. I was there for three years. Um, then I went to work at the workshop lab, which was the testing lab that I worked with while I was at the edible company doing our extract testing and also product testing and product development. And I did project management with them. And when I was there, they created a terpene training kit. This is in 2016. And that's when I learned that I had been misleading people for five years at the dispensary with the whole, do you want indica or sativa or a hybrid? Like indica is a body high, a sativa is a head high. And it took me like a month to get over this because this was, this was like losing my religion. This is like when you're like, God is not real. Like this is heavy and it's hard for people to do. And still to this day, like people, I swear to God, they'll fight, they'll fight you for it. Like it's, it's intense. And I catch people that know better that still refer to things as indica or sativa, you know, in the wrong way. For those that don't know, or those that are listening, and I say this all the time, I say the same thing over and over and over again. It's nice to hear from somebody else. What's the difference and why? Why is it? How is it being mismarketed or, or what is it like, for indica versus sativa? Like, let me break it down this way. If I was to ask you, what does the color blue taste like? Um, it doesn't have like blue is a color. That's like a visual characteristic. It does not have a flavor that's different. So when we say indica or sativa, that refers to its taxonomical classification, which is its characteristics. The sativa grows very tall and it has a longer veg time and, um, and it's usually got skinny leaves. Hemp is sativa, like straight up, like that's a sativa. Uh, indica is 
more short and it's fatter and more dense and it's got more resinous trichomes and that's from uh, it, that was found in India. So like it was like where it was found, how it grows, things like that. Um, but when you're talking about the effects, you can't ascribe effects to physical characteristics. That's not the same. So what we're talking about is the chemotaxonomy, which is the chemical uh, structures, the active chemical, the active chemicals in cannabis. That is what has its effect. And so the chemotaxonomy is the terpenes. Um, and cannabinoids that we know. There's also, I mean, there's other things like we're learning about esters and flavonoids and flavonols and thiols and all of these. I mean, it's chemistry. It's pretty nuts. Like, I mean, I didn't, I mean, I had a GED and a hairdressing license when I started managing the dispensary. And then the first time I sat down at a desk was when I taught myself supply chain management and Excel. And I mean, I didn't learn any of that shit. Uh, so, you know, to get into now, like working with the lab, my mind was just like blown all over the place. Um, so this is something that all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, I always considered my, I mean, I take it massively seriously that whatever I say, I know people will believe me. And like, I want to teach people and I was wrong. So it kind of became like my life's mission to get rid of indica and sativa. It's lazy packaging. Um, it's lazy marketing when it's so much cooler to delve into the science of cannabis, which we know that indica sativa has nothing to do with the effects. And something else I would like to say is I didn't know that indica sativa didn't have something to do with the effects. I believed everything I said to these people. And there was also times where people would be like, what does this do? What does this do? I'm like, what do you want it to do? That's what it does. And that's what it did for them. And there were times when I'm like, what does this do? Because like, it is whatever you want it to be. Look, when people walk into a dispensary, if they're not like, nor like if they're not regular consumers who are educated about things they are just blank slates in the hands of the bud tenders and if the bud tenders don't know what they're talking about the consumers are if the brands are teaching the bud tenders indica sativa marketing then the consumers are it's like i can try and teach the consumers but they're getting like miseducated. It's just like fighting disinformation online, except I, I don't know, it really pisses me off. Like that's why I have an issue with these marketers who, you know what, like if you come from alcohol, that's cool. Like you have an amazing skill set and like the background of understanding CPG and data and things like that is dope. But like learn your and it's like, take, I mean, I wanted to create a website. I don't have enough time or ability to do everything that I want to do, but a website that just like shouts out companies that are good, that give you the test results on the packaging. Like I want to see the terpenes and the cannabinoids, not just THC and CBD, that's not sufficient. And you know what, even then lab tests are a lot of times. So you so know what? solution what do you recommend the solution is your nose literally this is what i learned with the terpene kit it's so the terpene kit which is actually available and um and i'll i'll give you guys the link i have to look it up but i'll give it to you uh so it's to have the nine most commonly found terpenes in cannabis isolated oh wait hold on i lost did i lose you okay i didn't cool um okay so like uh, terpenoline, myrcene, limonene, etc. You have them in little vials and you have these like playing cards that explains what each one smells like, where it comes from, um, all of that information. And it's to start to train your brain on recognizing those nine terpene smells. The thing is, is cannabis doesn't smell like isolated terpenes at all because like within flower, maybe 
the stinkiest flower is 4% concentration of terpenes at the max. So when you have an isolated terpene, that's like an insane amount of one thing. It doesn't smell the same, but it's to keep training your nose to pick up more of the spiciness, like the alpha pinene or the sweetness from the myrcene. And not to think, oh, myrcene will get me super high or whatever. None of that. The fact is, is once you recognize those smells and you start smelling cannabis and you start to figure out which you have to use cannabis intentionally and really pay attention, like this is what this smells like. This is how it makes me feel. Your nose is literally the only thing you can rely on because that's the only like purely uh, objective thing you have is the way it affects you. I mean, it's subjective, but it's objective because it's not marketing. There's no, there's nothing behind it, you know? Well, look at what medicine happens. What, what happens with medicine, right? Yeah. Vinny just said, I love Kristen being brutally honest. <laughs> hi, Vinny. Oh, hi. Thank you. Um, but I, um, I agree, right? Yeah. I, I think there's, there's, you go to medicine, you know, look at any of these psychoactive drugs and it really, they depend on how we react and how it's, how it affects us. Why would it be any different in the cannabis industry? You know, well, I mean, considering that, like, okay, so again, at the maximum in some really stinky weed in the flower, the concentration is 4% terpenes. That's like, I don't know how many, terp there could be up to 100 different terpenes in that 4%. We're talking like minuscule, tiny, tiny, tiny amounts of terpenes. So how could these tiny, ridiculous like ridiculous concentrations have an effect on us. It's like, that's why you hear of the entourage. Of, I mean, the ensemble effect, I call it the ensemble effect because entourage, it's the wrong meaning. You know, that's like two, that was when THC was the thing and everything else was its fan, but it's the ensemble effect because it's all these different chemicals working together, but they're different for all of us. And like, what's crazy is I'm learning about um, anosmia, which I, I don't think that's when you lose your smell, but when your smell is messed up. So like my mom got COVID-19 and that was back in July. And now she has, she can't eat dairy or like wheat because it tastes really strongly like flowers. And there are other people who say things smell like burnt or, or other things. And there's like a bunch of science that shows that your sense of smell is directly connected to your memories and your emotions. And when people lose their sense of smell, they get like really depressed. You lose like touch with a lot of things that you don't recognize. So I think that our sense of smell has so much more power to it than we're even aware of until you lose it. And then, and then you're like, I can't smell the ocean anymore or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I had COVID and I can relate. Mine wasn't so bad. I was pretty healthy. I, I'm okay, but I That's still, good. my sense of smell is not there. Really? That, my taste yeah. cold foods, um, like cold drinks or cold foods almost doesn't exist. But hot, I can taste better. That sucks, man. Like, yeah, so as someone. I didn't know it was, I didn't know I would miss it. Yeah, well, we, I mean, it's evident on the news, people just don't recognize what you're missing till you miss it. And it's like people who haven't gotten super sick with COVID, haven't lost anybody to COVID. They just don't get it until you're in that situation and you can't breathe or someone you know is in the hospital. Or, um, but I mean, this is like the bane of my existence. Anyways, okay, let me finish my journey. So I was at the lab. They made the terpene kit. That's when I started doing terpene classes to make amends for my, you know, um, lying to everyone on accident. And then I stuck with that through the years. Then I did consulting. Don't like doing like formal documents and like boring like that. That's not my thing. So I went into strategic advising where it's basically like, 
I run a dispensary, um, a grow, an edible company. I've worked at a lab. Like I've done management consulting for companies. I've advised a ton of companies. So I am like someone who's honest that can, I mean, I can shirk deals for investors. I can give people my insight, but that's like, I need to get paid for that. You know what I'm saying? Other than like on my podcast, et cetera. So that's what I've been focusing on, but my passion is education. And my education is on terpenes, but also on detection of like as a consumer, what you need to look for, like the right questions to ask to get somewhere and like how we can start holding companies accountable for what they do. And what annoys me about people not understanding things till it happens to them is as someone who's trying to prevent people from getting over, I can't like no one wants to hire me as a prophylactic because they don't recognize my value till they get and it's like yo I tried to tell you and then it's like oh now I see your value but you don't have any money to pay me so like it's just frustrating but I'm the same way so I mean everything I've learned has been through direct experience that's why I'm trying to tell others before it happens to them but I recognized that I had to make those mistakes and like people are just gonna make those mistakes and they're costly but like whatever you know to each their own so this is part of why I am passionate about connecting people is to give people an opportunity to say hey what worked for you and what worked for you and what didn't and what should you avoid right yeah. what are yeah. some of those like mistakes that you're seeing over and over and over again that are in this industry that may be different than a different industry just because the state has like voted to legalize cannabis does not mean you should start a cannabis business. Like if there's anything I can tell you, oh, I just lowered my chair. Um, I talk more people out of the industry than I help get into it because they just don't get it. It's, um, it's not fun, it's not easy, it's not cheap, it's hard. And just because they said like they passed something doesn't mean that it's happening anytime soon, like especially on a local level. I mean, everyone and their mom wants to start a weed company because it's cool, but it's not cool. It's not cool anymore, dude. Like regulated industry sucks. It's the worst. So I don't even work with cannabis businesses because I didn't get into this industry for bureaucracy. I got into it for the plant and the culture. So I work with ancillary companies, you know, helping them work with cannabis companies. But no, it's not fun. It's not what you think. You know, a lot of people struggle. And there, I mean, most people have to raise capital. And investors can really fuck you. So, I mean, that's another thing is don't just jump into bed with the first person to offer to invest in whatever you're doing. I mean, I know you want it, but it is not worth it. Like, investors are like marriage with no love. You know what I'm saying? Like... Those are precarious situations for most people. So we talk about this a lot about the value of relationship and knowing that you know, there's such thing as good money and bad money. And again, it goes back to having having a relationship with somebody and people you can talk to and trust. Right. Totally. Yeah, I definitely. Yeah. Think and there's a lot of people that have gotten into it as the gold rush. Right. And it's it's hard. and they I mean. Yeah, it's just not recommended. Like, I recommend that if you want to start a company, go work at one first. Go learn on someone else's dime. Like, it's it's a crash course that you need, that you do not want to learn on your own. Like, I'm lucky because I got a crazy crash course on learning everything, like, hands the fuck on. I mean, when it came to the edible company, again, GED like hairdresser um, and I'm learning <clears throat> chemistry and food science and like working with food scientists and labs and like ingredients companies and flavor houses and it was super cool. There's no way that I would be able to do that now when now there's food scientists coming into the industry as there should be like that's a good thing for sure. You know, that's another thing. You don't have to reinvent the wheel like it's a 
plant. It's not some like alien thing that all of a sudden we have to create a universe of new things for it. Like, no, dude, like you could go to the grow shop back in the day and just say you're growing green peppers. They know what you're talking about, okay? Like this industry has existed way before people who wanted to get into the industry had an idea for a business. So like do some research. That's another thing. I mean, I'm very good at doing a competitive analysis and like letting people know what's been done because I have 15 years of watching companies come and go. And I've had thousands of conversations with people and hearing their ideas. Like I know what's worked and what hasn't. Like I've been, I've been watching it all, you know? Um, it's just not, it's not for the timid. And if someone can get through after I throw down all the risks and everything that someone's up against, if they're still ready to go, then I'll pass them off to consultants that they can trust, which is another thing, consultants. Like, I'm not a consultant, I'm an advisor. There's a difference. Like, I don't just work with anyone and I'm not gonna help people uh, pursue their delusions at the, a risk to themselves. Whereas consultants, as soon as your state goes legal, they will be there to do licensing workshops when there's no fucking way a lot of those people are gonna get a license. They don't care, dude. Like, they will sell you on your dream. So be careful. Um, those are just some of my things. Okay, so when you say you work with ancillary companies that are in servicing the industry or companies that are in the industry, right? What are some of those that you're seeing that are, I mean, that are more um, heavily, I guess, uh, I don't want to say invested in, but you see a lot of people coming into or already in the industry? And where do you see people that are not paying attention? And we need services. Um, I mean... You know, I always thought that, like, for one thing, working in cannabis businesses generally, like, the employees are not treated very well. Um, I feel like there needs to be a bigger focus on culture and companies. It would be great to see, like, I always had an idea, you know, those course, those ropes courses, mm -hmm. um, like, make working in the industry fun. When you have happy employees, they will do great work. You can get so much more done with a happy company where it's like, it's not that hard to hire people. I mean, hire good managers, like hire people that are there to, to help the employees grow and to help the business grow. I think that's something that's not focused on at all, that is a service that the industry doesn't recognize yet that it needs, but every other industry needs this. I don't know what it's Why? called. Why do you think that that's, I mean, that's like HR, cap, people capital, right? Why yeah. are, is it? But are, HR, look, in the, okay, something for people to look out is obviously the domination of MSOs. Like, look, the middle, the minute we go legal, it is over for the mom and pop shop, you know? And in this economy, like, it's, I'm glad to see that cannabis is considered essential and that businesses are surviving, but a lot of businesses aren't. And this is the time when the M&A really happens. And it's like, like, okay, like Scott's Miracle Grow created Hawthorne Garden Division or department or whatever. Um, and then Hawthorne goes and it buys Gavita and General Hydroponics and Botanicare. If you're not paying attention and you just buy that from the gross store, like you're not gonna know that they belong to some like evil, right? So like, I think that we haven't seen big cannabis. That happens after national legalization. When it's safe for like Bayer and Syngenta and like the legit like big, big agribusinesses start buying up companies, like Acres tried to do it, but they thought they knew better and they didn't and now they're failing. So, ha, because acreage is all I got to say. Um, you know, anyways, what was I talking about? I get like, I just, oh, m and So the MSOs coming in, like this is something people are not, they don't have HR departments to make their employees happy. Okay, like publicly traded companies don't, tend to give a fuck about their employees. Like they have high turnover rates. So I think that, yeah, HR in a big company is there for the employer, 
not so much the employees. Well, I think people. it needs to be Maybe it's people. Like you said, VP of people, somebody that represents yeah. the people that are employed. And really, this is a topic that we talk about, especially as things are at home, right? How do businesses, how are they managing it differently? And I know that the uh, conversation about the how we care for or make our workplace safer and healthier and more enjoyable is a top of conversation. I, yeah. I'll be honest, this isn't a topic that we talk about very often. You know, no. I, I get to interview hundreds of people and um, yeah, the people capital is just not something that we discuss very You often. know why? Because the people that aren't getting invested in aren't guests on podcasts. Like, look, until I quit being, I mean, I found this quote that was, um, if you don't build your dreams, someone will hire you to build theirs. I've built other people's dreams. Every cannabis company I've ever managed is still operating. Like, that's crazy in California, in Los Angeles, in the industry, period. But I have nothing to show for it. Like, I've walked away from all of them with nothing to fucking show for it. And I got tired of building other people's dreams, where my dream is to kill Indica Sativa marketing, period, and to be the John Oliver of the cannabis industry. Like, that's my ultimate dream. Like, give me my talk show where I can provoke interesting conversations and have on good guests and promote good information and talk. That's super important to me. So, <laughs> it's real. Yeah, it's real. and like, I... I will call out whatever because I have nothing to lose. Like, I don't give a fuck. So whatever. Like, I have a solid reputation. I don't do people wrong. Like, I am a highly ethical person. And that gives me a soapbox that I enjoy using when I feel like it, you know? And I just didn't. I didn't feel like it last year. But, I mean, I'm coming back to it, you know? That's awesome. Be yourself. Do it. Well, I think that there's – so – how do you see bridging this gap being on the side where I'm, I'm, I went into this because I saw a need for a voice for him, for fiber, not for the high resin CBD, but for the fiber piece and manufacturing and labor laws and supply chains and everything. Right. Um, I just remembered another question I wanted to ask you, but in doing yeah. so the, um, where do you really see the need for a voice on both the government side and this hemp side to join forces or the, I mean, both anything cannabis, not even necessarily just hemp, but understanding that they're very different processing, you know, it's coming out at different angles. I think that they should not be joined together. They should be kept very separate. And look, I mean, I just real I just realized this last month when I came across something that was showing the amount of lobbying dollars spent by cannabis um, into the senators. And I hadn't even heard of these lobbying groups, like the Cannabis Federation, whatever, whatever. And oh, the Cannabis Roundtable. Who runs yeah. that? John Boehner? Fuck off. Are you kidding me? Like the Canvas Federation, that's like Hawthorne and like some other people. So, you know, I don't think that people in the Canvas industry are being represented fairly by lobbyists because the lobbyists are the MSOs, dude. They're the big money capitalists that are trying to keep the small business down. Like the only reason we will ever see national legalization is because the people who will succeed from it can succeed from it. That's when it happens. Otherwise, that's why it's been illegal this whole time is because it poses such a threat. And I think that when it comes to hemp, not CBD, but fiber and everything else that it can do should be totally not related to weed, cannabis, CBD, any of that shit. Not health and wellness. It doesn't, it's not, yeah, it doesn't have anything to do with it. Like, you don't ever hear about, like, concrete and, like, THC. They don't go together. Like, you know, so I think a a problem is, is, like, it's a plant, man. It's got this, like, mystic thing to it that is just so annoying to me. Like, I really don't like the evangelistic 
THC people that are like, get off all your prescriptions and all of this shit. It's like, yo, chill. That turns people off. Like, yes. so yeah, let's keep it disconnected. Like, if we want to, I mean, when I helped, a, I had a, a client that wanted to get into CBD and I talked them out of that and um, talked them into doing a lavender farm. I'm like, okay, well, A, I found out lavenders, like actually you can make really good money growing that. And then you could extract it for its terpenes or not and just sell it like whatever. But anyways, there is so much help from the USDA and the federal government in like grants and loans and all kinds of for farming. You don't get any help with weed. Like you're the enemy with cannabis. So like, it's not even appealing when you're, keeping it separate when it comes to fiber, it should not be treated like cannabis at all. Like it shouldn't have any of that shit. Like it should just be controlled by the USDA or whoever handles agricultural shit. And the DEA has zero to do with it because it's for fiber. Like that's a duh, right? Like you say duh, but this is where common sense does not exist. Right. You know what? It does exist, but the people that are talking to the government are lobbyists. But even our government, right? I mean, I'm I'm speaking to people right now that are being required to test the roofing tiles they make for the level of THC. As if someone's going to smoke. It's like smoking your driveway. It, it, it doesn't make sense to me. It's <laughs> like, you know, I mean... Having worked at the lab, my mentor, Jeffrey Raver, Dr. Jeffrey Raver, he has spoken to uh, government officials all over the place. I see people with common sense um, education that just want the like politicians to understand and it does not fucking penetrate them. What penetrates them is money and that is evident. It's like who benefits from overregulation? Um, whoever is managing compliance, those labs. Like, I wonder, did like the lab industry contribute funds to the policymakers? That because, I mean, wouldn't that make sense? Like, that's how we do things in America. We pay for it. So I don't know. You know, it's like the lobbying power is not in the hands of the little people. And. You know, something else that's really gotten to me is my my heart goes to our success as a United States will depend on our rural communities and their ability to farm and grow. And I think it goes back to small business as well, right? How do we how do we give them a voice? What's what I know you're doing your podcast. How can we support? What else can we do? And I what mean, does I don't know this. This is not my background, but there are other farmers that they get subsidies for wheat and other like that. So for hemp to be like seriously decriminalized, legalized to where it's treated like a regular plant could get subsidies because look, man, farming is fucking risky. It's never been a good paying thing. Like it's, I mean, we don't look at farmers are not rich people, do they never have been. So it's like, what they need is subsidies yes they need protections they need like legit insurance coverage for crop loss and other things to be treated like other crops but it's inherently risky and like i I, i'm just super net i'm super pessimistic about our government because i mean if last year doesn't make you fucking pessimistic like give me what you're smoking because i need it <laughs> you know what i'm saying like i just unless you have money to lobby if unless hemp farmers have the money to lobby for their best interests then like i don't know dude i don't know i, I said farmer today on the phone that unfortunately i tell people it's better to invest in lobbying than it is marketing right now because they're at big time risk and it's, it scares me. Yes, yeah, we. Scares me. I, I mean, um, every. I mean, I've taken massive hits financially in this industry. I am driven by spite. You know what I'm saying? I am a fucking powered by spite. That's how I finished beauty school. The hairdresser teacher was like, "She's never gonna finish." 
and I finished. Yeah, and I was good, and like people loved me, and so now I'm just like, I've been told, oh, you're early to the game, like calling out, and like I have been early to the game, and then I burned out last year, and then it's like, if by nothing but spite coming back to me and like, you will not shut me up. Like I will not go down, dude. Like, yeah, maybe I needed a year to just like bottom out and like regain my shit. But I mean, 15 years is a long time. And I have so much to offer people. Like I just, I really enjoy calling things out, but I cannot sugarcoat things. And I wouldn't farm, I wouldn't grow. No, no, no. Cultivation is the biggest money loser, period. You're at the bottom of the supply chain. You get stepped on. Like, I mean, in California, you have so many fucking regulatory bodies to answer to. It's just it, like, unless you love growing, which is one of the first thing I ask potential clients, what, like, give me the ratio of your passion and your profit motive like what are you motivated by because if it's profit i don't want to work with you because it doesn't work like that you know no one gets rich quick unless you started rich yeah yeah well and that's what's hard right that's yeah it's tricky especially right now where you like you said there's we're in the beginning the beginning phase of this however people that have been in it now for 15 years are really ahead of the game you're uh, yeah, if they if coming into the California market, it's hard to get into. Yeah, and I mean, people really need to figure out if they want to, which again, this is like where I come in. I, my favorite people, my favorite clients is people in the idea stage, investors in the idea stage. Like if you're thinking about it, I can help you because it takes a lot longer to figure it out on your own than like I've been through everything and thought of everything. And I just, I'm really good at playing devil's advocate or whatever. I don't just shoot people down. Like I have creative alternative solutions to ideas, but I mean, generally it's like consultants and lawyers don't like working with me because I talk their clients out of getting into the industry, you know? <laughs> So if you come, you talk to someone who doesn't have a very like viable idea or like really isn't sure, then send them to me. That's what I'm here for. I'm that check. Who's like viable, you may go. Or like not viable, stop and rethink before you go bankrupt. And you can't even file bankruptcy if you own cannabis touching plant or companies. Um, if you have a THC touching company, there is no bankruptcy. So it's another thing to keep in mind. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you don't get like a bailout when you fail at selling drugs, you know, that's basically the that's way their, it is. That's their perspective, I guess. Right there. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So yeah. in all of your jobs, what's been your favorite? supply chain operations i mean honestly like i really loved product development and supply chain i mean i guess operations i loved operations because i'm a project management like a organizational process freak and like learning asana and like just doing organizational things and trying to get people to work together and to find solutions when there's like low morale instead of just the everyone's just complaining. It's like, how about instead of complaining, you think of a solution to the problem? Like, that's another thing. Like, when morale gets low, it's really easy to be toxic. So, I enjoy the challenge of getting things better, but it is easily sabotaged by managers. Um, so yeah, I really love that part, but I also love product development and learning food science. And that was super interesting. Like it was so cool. I don't even like grocery shopping. I'm not a food person, but the science behind it is just endlessly fascinating. Same with terpenes, you know, like they're, they're like these crazy chemicals that are in so many other things. And then like you can branch off into um, like sensory marketing and that type of thing. Like where you go places, they have different smells. Like there are ways to like manipulate people 
it's crazy. Like, it's just, I, I love I the R&D part. Walmart knows more about us than, they know what we're buying before we walk in that door, right? Oh, and Amazon most definitely knows everything about me. That's <laughs> bad. I, <laughs> I don't have a car, dude. Like, I wouldn't get so much sent through Amazon if I had a car. I do feel guilty about it because, like, I don't want to, I wouldn't support Walmart um, unless I was getting, like, socks or something. No, even then, I go to Ross. You know, we don't even have a Walmart in L.A., actually. Now they really? go to Target. Yeah. Um, we used to, but mm -mm. Yeah. I don't know why. I wouldn't even thought that. That's interesting. So where, Wait, are, you where are you located? Utah. So when oh. we talk about like, the terpenes and things like that, this is a topic that comes up often because we're right in the heat of all of the MLMs. So we have, you know, all the oils, the essential oils that are all different terpenes. I mean, they're mm -hmm. just broken up and, and harvested and yeah and they're so to think that they that the terpene profile doesn't matter and that's something people say or ask me all the time well what what should i buy or what works or what do you like and it's completely dependent to me on the terpene profile not even the cbd content or anything else it's yeah it's <laughs> yeah people ask me i'm like i like a more of a skunky like cushy smell like kind of like a menthol or like a cheesy smell. Those are like my favorite types um, because the name doesn't even matter. I mean, there's companies like Candescent who um, they work with, com they have genetics, but instead of calling it the genetic name, they call it Calm 107 or like this, whatever, whatever. And like, right. right, that's tough. Like I just, I say the best way to figure out what works for you is to have somebody buy weed for you and then give it to you like four different kinds unpackaged and then you try each one and you figure out like what does it smell like what does it feel like what does it taste like whatever and then compare it to the label after the fact and see the difference because then you're not being influenced but it's really hard to not be influenced but like, this is, this is consumer marketing 101. Like that's the thing, you know? Um, but it's at the same time, I don't know, dude, if something could give me bliss, I'd spend a lot of money on it. I hate, I hate products that are called bliss. Let me just say that right now. <laughs> it's unattainable from a product, dude. You know, people like, I don't know. It just it's like I understand, but this is, but this is where our consumers, right? How do you go back to educate the consumer? And it seems like such a big fish to fry. Just right? We're talking about trust nothing but yourself. Look, so many people when I was a tender would be like, oh, I want something that's going to make me creative and like, blah, 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 blah. But I guarantee that you go home and you get high and like, you don't even remember what you were expecting to feel in the first place like that's the thing like a lot of times you are not intentionally using you're just getting high and you know it depends on your mood and the it's so dependent on so many things that when you remove the marketing from it that's how you find out what really works for you so Actually, it's not hard for the consumer to figure out because basically everything is bullshit. Doubt everything and just trust yourself, but pay attention. And if you actually remember to pay attention, you will figure out what works best for you. I think but that's, that's it. It's being intentional, right? I mean, that's, that's really, yeah. I mean, if be an intentional user in, in any of it, right? What are you? Totally. Yeah. I, I love yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, admittedly, I'm more of a stoner. I just love the flavor and, like, the process and everything. Um, I've never claimed to be, like, a medical user. I was, I got high my first time when I was 14. Like, there's pictures of me with, like, 420 shirts on at 15. Like, I was just one of those kids that I saw half-baked and dazed and confused and was like, oh, my God, and then... I walked into this dispensary and I was like, do you guys, are you hiring? Like, do you need help? And they did need help. And I was like, I was the stoner. The other people barely even smoked 
at that dispensary. It was crazy. So it's like, to me, I started off in this industry. I got to live the stoner dream, and I'm so grateful. I got to be in it before the government did all up, you know? It was well, fun. I, but it's the knowledge, right? How do we transfer that, and how do we how do we bring those two pieces together where we have this new money, new business coming into an industry that's becoming, I mean, it's moving into a commodities industry. I think we need to shame the companies into doing the right thing because that's the only way it's going to work. You know, that's why my podcast and everything I do when I'm calling things out is because like the media is the fourth branch of the government. It provides transparency so that we can be informed because like the biggest thing with journalism local journalism dying off in cities is there's no more keeping an eye on local politicians and what they're doing and there's been proven studies that show that corruption increases as local is local journalism decreases so to i think the only way is to really demand it like for consumers to demand lab testing, transparent lab testing, comprehensive, that has terpenes and cannabinoids. That's it, we have to demand it. Like, look at organic produce at the grocery store. There wasn't always an organic section. It used to be just conventional, and then people wanted organic, and then organic became a thing. Like, now it's like a healthy foods, it's like a whole sector um, that's like its own thing. So it's on the consumer but the consumer has to know better you know so podcasts shows like just wherever social media getting the word out that's that's the only way we can bridge it i agree i'd love to support you i'd love to continue to when did your podcast air how do people find you if they want to reach out so i've actually had five episodes that i had done at the beginning of last year that i never published last year because i burnt out and uh i am like dude just they're so good they're so good so i'm gonna publish them next week so you can find me on itunes the cannabis detector like cannabis minus the i cannabis detector on like google play um, or Android Play or whatever, just Google it and you can find it. Um, and subscribe, please, and and rate me five stars. Even if you don't listen, I guarantee it's worth it. Um, <laughs> please, just rate me. <laughs> yes, rate me five stars, nothing less. Um, and so that, I have two episodes I did with my friend Brad Slaughter about why I say legalization. Um, and we debate. And then one with Emma um, Chasen is so awesome. We nerd girled out on terpenes and cannabis science. And um, and I have a couple other, I can't remember at the moment, but they're all awesome. And I just want to drop them so I can go on to make like a new season past, you know, post pandemic. Um, yeah. yeah, so also I uh, have a show on the High Curious app called Hell to Well, which is me documenting trying to get from hell, which is like the United States last year and burnout to well, where I'm like trying to incorporate mindfulness and other strategies, um, healthy ways to cope in an insane world and sharing them with others. And that's Monday, first and third Mondays um on the high curious app and also cannabis detector on instagram but that's where i post mostly like memes um linkedin is where i'm most professional uh and then i do a radio show in san diego um called notes from the underground every friday night at 7 p.m pacific and i think there's a link on my LinkedIn page somewhere, uh, if you scroll somewhere. I really need to update that. Oh, if you just, no, it's not there. I need to add it there. Yeah, you'll find it. <laughs> I shared your LinkedIn um, on the page, and so people okay, cool. see it. you can see it right here. Okay, awesome. And then I'll find a link to the terpene kits that I was talking about. 
because yeah. they're really they're really cool. Because in the beginning, like you smell them, but then what you want you do is have someone else hand them to you with you not knowing what they are. And by the time you can recognize the smell, you've trained your nose, which is the same sommeliers do with wine. This is well, not new, you know. And they're they're requiring. They're saying that that's how you get your smell back after COVID. You have to train yep. it come back and they're requiring exactly. that you do the, the big the top four terpenes um yeah. yeah i actually had somebody go down and buy all the essential oils for the um to train her smell after COVID. yeah there's a scent kit um yeah. yeah so it's really interesting people really need to pay attention pay attention that's what i'm saying well and be willing to open up and learn right well yeah. we've taught hasn't been the truth and and what what's been told to us um and what we've done to supplement or to replace the hemp and cannabis has been damaging very damaging to our planet and to us and unfortunately our age is not as heavily impacted as our kids will be or our younger generations and i really believe they'll be who changes you know changes the world or the planet with it they don't got an option yeah. <laughs> yeah that sucks i'm not having kids i'm a cat lady so i feel okay but sucks for parents with kids for sure well and it's again right if we can get it in their hands or put it in their hands i think they'll they'll make a massive impact um, yeah totally so, well however i can help you do you have anything else left you want to say real quick or any advice you want to give anybody um just because I'm assuming that the Senate has been flipped and just because Biden won, because Biden won guys, like, come on, like, are you insane? Um, <clears throat> just because it's democratic does not mean that they are progressive because none of them are progressive. Kamala Harris, like I'm in California. She's not that progressive, dude. She never has been on cannabis. Biden? was like the fucking dude who made the 94 crime bill. Like he's not progressive either. So like, don't become pacified because we're supposedly like Democrat, whatever. Like I'm not Democrat or Republican. They're all fucked up, dude. Like I said, money buys politics, but I just want people to recognize that the fight is not over, dude. Like this now it's like holding these people accountable for what they said. And be careful what you wish for, because national legalization is not going to benefit smaller businesses, period. And if you want to see what failed national legalization looks like, look at California. We are what the United States will look like. States opting out, states being down with it, everything's fucked up. Like, it's bad. I mean, and guess what? People still go to jail for weed. That's not very legal to me, guys. You know what I'm saying? So just pay attention to what's going on. Um, don't get too excited. Don't fall for the hype. That's okay. what I'm saying. Well, I, it's it's <laughs> true advice, right? Or it's real. I guess that's the real the real piece of it. There's a lot of fluff, and I talk about a lot of the benefits. And I think undoubtedly there's benefits, but there are a lot of uphill battles that are still to come. I had an investor. I, Go ahead. I was going to say, again, there's a difference between hemp and cannabis weed stuff, because I think that cannabis fiber, that's that shouldn't even be a fucking conversation. It's just a plant, you know, but it threatens oil and cotton and other massive industries. So it's going to have to fight. Yeah. Well, there's a reason it was not available. Exactly. Right? I mean, it's and not just available here everywhere <laughs> so it's totally. you know and it's taken years it's going to take a while before we bring it back but i really appreciate everything you're doing and i feel really blessed you spent time with us I'm yeah thank you so much and i mean do you have like a tight do you like have to stop in two minutes because no. i have a quick question yeah so my fear with globalization with hemp is that we're going to see just like any other agricultural commodity it is going to be exploited and it is going to be put in third world countries where they're going to be deforestation and other shit just like they do with soy and palm oil and things like that and i'm curious that like if i mean if they were to raise like cut down the trees in the amazon and replace it with hemp is that like are we 
um, because I know hemp is an awesome bioaccumulator and all of that stuff, but like how effective is it in comparison? And like, do you think that that is a problem we have to face soon or later? Because I think it's eventual. I think that there are uh, discussions now in replacing some of the forests with hemp, you know, like the redwood forest to prevent all the fires, the big forest fires. But I think that what hemp produces in those locations um, is beneficial. I don't see them cutting down trees to replace it with hemp long term. But I mean, doesn't I, that happen with every profitable agricultural commodity? They take, I mean, the farmers in America are fucked once it's globalized because labor is cheaper in other countries. And it's just like palm oil. At this point in the UK, they're like banning palm oil that comes from these farms that are destroying the Amazon and using like, basically treating people like slaves for their labor. Um, why not weed? Why not? What makes it special? Like, what's the difference with hemp than cotton, soy, whatever? Like, why not deforestation when some fucking asshole, like, figures out, oh, I'm going to go grow hemp. Right, and, and take over, grow hemp and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, like, I don't know. Like, is it as good at, at capturing carbon as trees are? Like, I'm just curious if we're going to see hemp turned into a bad thing by bad people because because that's what happens a lot you know that's i, think I just I don't know. I think this comes back to is is the united states in a position to be viable and competitive on the hemp market and manufacturing at this point so when we talk about globalization is it something we can avoid and what do we do to keep it in the United States so that it is a viable product? Again, I think, yeah, when it comes to the lobbyists, it's who's lobbying for what, because globalization would fare very, very well for the massive agro-businesses that will come in and start buying off all the small farms and consolidating. That Those people with billions are lobbying the government. Like, again, it's just about the money, dude. And the money wants to go to third world countries. Like that's fucking capitalism. You know, I'm so disillusioned, dude. Like I'm so disillusioned. I would love to hear some like miracle stat that's like hemp is like better for the environment than like the rainforest. And then I'd be like, all right, cool. All right, dude, I then know. we just have to worry about labor. I want to look into some of the stats here. I think I've got people who know stats, and I don't think that I can quote them on the yeah. carbon sequestering and um, benefit. I know that our farmers have a huge capability of carbon credit, getting carbon credits when they're growing. And so next to a forest, I'm curious. Um, right? Yeah. yeah I just... If I can figure, pull that information. And it yeah. seems like I've heard it, but I don't dare quote it. I don't even know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, uh, always when it comes to critical thinking in the industry, always check your sources, like who's funding the research, you know, it turns out like 70%, I don't know, I'm not, don't quote me on this statistic, but a large percentage of nutritional research has been funded by the fucking food industry. So it's like, you know. Have you seen What the Health? Have you seen um, What the Health? I, I think so. Was that a docu-series? Yeah, yes. it's on Netflix and it's about just like uh, cancer and processed red meats and how the how skewed the market research is based on who's producing it. Yeah. It's scary. Yeah. And that's another thing that I could go on and on about that I'd like to see is just down to what's really in your hemp product and how can you label your bottle hemp plastic? Now here we're preaching to the industry that hemp is biodegradable and it's stronger and lasts longer and better for our planet. And then we get people that are putting product out, labeling it as a hemp plastic bottle and immediately thinking that it's biodegradable and it's not. Totally truth in advertising, but then yeah. there has to be these um, third party bodies that, that are out there testing and checking things. Um, and that's another problem with the lab testing part of the industry is they are the regulators, 
but no one regulates the regulators. Very rarely is there oversight. So, so do you think that should be in industry, or do you think we should have a regulatory body like ASTM or ISO or any of these others? Focus. The thing is, is if like you, I love focus, and I think that that's absolutely essential. Is that, but they have to. It's like. The stakeholders, the board members, cannot be the same people that are, like the conflict of interest is there, you know? It's like in California, there's supposed to be like this California Cannabis Committee that's like people from the cannabis industry that will speak up for the industry, but they're all fucking consultants that can make money that monetize off of policy. So it's like a massive conflict of interest. So I don't know, I think that that there should be that if you're going to work in that area, then you can't have that crossover. And then I, yes, you know, this is yeah. somewhere where I sit a little different. Um, and this is something I'm really passionate about. And it's funny because people say, well, then how do you get paid? Right. But I don't have an invested interest in a business. I care about the industry and I see hemp as a real solution. And so we've talked a lot about being a, you know, a regulatory body for the industry and not us, but that the industry itself regulates itself instead of other organizations. And really the wool industry or vegetable industry or potatoes, tomatoes, whoever it is, they regulate themselves. They have a checks and balance place. Everything goes to that spot. And the buyer knows at that point what they're getting based on their grade or their quality or their standard that's given to them. And I'd love to see something like that happen in the fiber and or cannabis industry somehow, but a way to yeah. regulate that. And, and like totally. you said, over and over again, I get asked, well, what makes us different than any other, other organization or association is nobody on my board has an invested interest in a cannabis company. Exactly. We're not like, I run an organization to build connections and vetted relationships for the supply chain, because I believe that will that's help essential. bring. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, that's Lovely. it. Thanks for the side yeah. talk. <laughs> I know, I know. I could go off on so many things, but I think this has been a really good conversation. And let's do it again. I'd love to have you back on. I'd love to talk. If topics come up that you feel are important and people want to share, I'd love to share them. Cool. Well, anyways, yeah. thank you. Thank so you. Wonderful yeah. day. You as well. Happy 2021. Absolutely. See you later. Thanks everyone for listening. Bye-bye.